0: Let's stand back up and we'll pray and then we'll, uh, I'm excited about what we're sharing. We're going to talk about the technology of the Spirit again. So, Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for the revelation that you're bringing from heaven. Father, I just ask this morning that you'll open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, that we'll be able to take what we hear and apply it in a way that is absolutely transformational. We just give you thanks and praise for who you are. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for the way you're working in each one of our lives in unique and individual and tailor-made ways. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. And I'm just going to read one scripture quickly from Hebrews 11, the first three verses. I'm reading from the New King James because I like how it says it better than the other translations. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good uh, testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Notice worlds there is in plural. It's so not just talking about our earth. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Right? Okay, well... Come back to that, but I want to ask you a question. It is September 11th, and those of you that are old enough, which is probably just about everybody in the room, right, Uh, how many of you remember where you were when you first heard about the attacks on 9-11? I want you to think about that. How many of you can remember what you felt in your heart? Raise your hand. Amazing, that day, obviously, in many, many ways, changed the world. There was another way that 9-11 changed the world that didn't have anything to do with terrorism and didn't have anything to do with wars or or buildings crashing or anything like that. There was something significant in the scientific community that happened on 9-11, Because we have these satellites that are, check this out, 22,000 miles above the surface of the earth. 22,000 miles orbiting the earth. And as that was going on, and you remember it, it played out throughout the day, so there was strong emotion that was being felt throughout that entire time. And what happened was the satellites began to register significant changes in the Earth's magnetic field. And the scientists took note of it, and they had no explanation for it. So there was a group of scientists that got together after that day and slowly began to explore whether human emotion does actually, in fact, impact the world around us or impact things at a physical level. And it started a whole new branch of science that most people are not aware of that radically challenges our modern Western worldview and more closely aligns itself with a biblical worldview. So most of our modern science, most of what we think about when we think about science is based on Newtonian physics, right? Everybody remembers Newton? You remember reading the stories in school with the apple falling off the, hitting him in the head or whatever, which, you know, obviously didn't happen, but that's kind of a parable or a metaphor, right, for, for Newton, right? And he's kind of the father, if you will, of modern science. You could also call Newtonian physics, you could also call them macro physics. Does everybody know what macro is, right? So you have macroeconomics, it looks at the bigger picture. Microeconomics looks at the smaller picture, right? You have a macrocosm, it's, it's, the, it's the universe. You have a microcosm, it's a model of something, right? So phys, Newtonian physics can be called macro physics because it works on a larger level. So because of Newtonian physics... We were able to develop a lot of things uh, that deal in large chunks of time and space. So travel uh, radically changed since then. We put a person on the moon since then. We set these satellites out in orbit since then, right? And what's interesting, because Newton actually was a mystic. And people don't realize that. But as people looked at what he had discovered, uh, and it expanded into a more general knowledge, it left us, really, with two conclusions, that for a Christian are very faulty conclusions, but it is fundamental to the way that we see the world. And it's so fundamental to the way that we see the world that we don't even think about it, but it is something that we really need to change. And those satellites orbiting that day on 9-11 is part of the change that's happening within the scientific community as really science and spirituality are beginning to merge in a way that perhaps they haven't since Newton got the whole thing started. Because, now now here's the the problem. So two conclusions that we drew with, with Newton was that everything was separate from everything else. And part of the reason that we concluded this is because, do you realize that science tells us that 90% of our universe is perceived or seen by us as empty space. So the way astrophysicists and stuff look at this, they would say 90% of the universe is missing. means only 10% of what you deal with is actual materiality. The other 90% is empty space. So everything is separate, and and, and, and you can't, and it, and it blocks you from being able to perceive any kind of connections. Are you, are you tracking with me? So that's the first conclusion. So the first conclusion is that you're just kind of bumping around in total separation. The second conclusion of Newtonian physics is this. Our beliefs, our feelings, our thoughts, our prayers have no effect... Or no ability to influence anything beyond our physical bodies. About the best we can do is influence our emotional state. Now, I'm not saying Christians don't believe their prayers or people don't believe. I'm just saying based on a Newtonian physics model, that's the secular worldview that we're left with. Right? So when these satellites picked this stuff up, it challenged that because now maybe the emotion that we feel as human beings doesn't stay just within our skin or within the boundary or the border of our body maybe there's something more that's going on maybe there's something more interactive that's happening and so they began to research it more but it actually it was part of an earlier revolution that was taking place in the 20th century because in the 20th century we began to look at not uh, macrophysics but what you might call microphysics right and microphysics has to do with things at their smallest level or what we might call quantum physics. All right. OK, enough of the science lesson. The reason I said all this was to say to show you a quote. Max Planck is considered the, the father of quantum physics. He was a Nobel Prize winner in uh, theoretical physics. And he makes an incredible statement. I want to read it to you. And I think we have it have it up there. Max Planck said, all matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Kind of sounds like Hebrews 11.3, doesn't it? Now, here's what he's saying. Here's what's so radical about what he's saying. He's saying what you perceive as empty space is not empty space. That 90% of the universe is not empty. What he's saying is, is that there is a force, there is a very real tangible substance that you cannot see or perceive that is holding everything together And that in this substance, there is a mind or a consciousness or an intelligence. Right? And he calls this mind the matrix of everything. Now, when we think of matrix, we think of the movie. At least I do. But, or the movie series or whatever, but the matrix, the, the word actually comes from the word mother, maternal, that kind of thing. And, and what it means is it describes an environment or material in which something develops, or a surrounding medium or structure, or think about it like a womb. The baby is developing inside the womb, so the womb is a matrix. It's, it's surrounding, but watch this, it's also nurturing and bringing forth. So the way that Max Planck would and, and other astro you know, or I'm sorry, uh physicists, quantum physicists would understand this is that they would say there is an invisible reality behind the reality that you can see. And that invisible reality permeates everything and connects everything. It is the environment in which everything exists. And that environment is a consciousness, that environment is a mind. That environment is an intelligence. The Greeks called it the Logos. <laughs> right? Now, uh, let me check my notes here. So what, what, what this begins to tell us when we put this together is that instead of being separate, we're all connected at these deeper and higher levels through this Matrix. Right? So last week we talked about a programming language. Or we talked about how computers are an example, really, of what the Bible is saying in Hebrews 11.3. If you want to understand it, think about a computer or think about a computer game. So let's take Pac-Man. Anybody ever played Pac-Man? All right. So when you're playing Pac-Man, you're seeing only like five people have played Pac-Man. And Seriously, like how many of you ever in your life played Pac-Man? Okay, praise God. All right. (laughs) Maybe I just wasn't looking out far enough or something. Um, Okay, so when you're playing a video game, you're engaging when you are a player, you are engaging at the level of the video game. Right. But and, and what you see is you see the little yellow guy. Right. And the ghosts and the dots and all that stuff. But what you don't see is the computer language that's behind the image. So it's in there, but you can't see it. If you could see the computer language, it would look like the graphic on my right over here. Right? It's just words, symbols, whatever. Right? So it doesn't look anything like the actual image. And it doesn't function anything like the actual image. It functions totally differently than the actual image. And the amazing thing was, was when quantum physicists began to study quantum realities, they learned that it doesn't function anything like Newtonian physics. So in other words, if you try to take Newtonian physics and apply it to quantum physics, it doesn't follow the same rules, it doesn't go the the same way, everything is totally different. So if you're going to get good at Pac-Man, aside from having to have a lot of practice and a very obsessive compulsive disorder... I think mine was what was the what was the one we played the Nintendo one it wasn't uh, Pac-Man it was Mario Brothers. I, I, I saved that princess many times when I should have been in class. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if if you play it long enough and you get in there, you can you can figure out the game, right? But. If you're going to interact with it on a different level, if you're going to interact with it on the level of the programming, you you cannot you, you can't even approach it with the same mindset that you approach the video game. You have to use a totally different language. You have to follow a totally different set of rules. It's a different world that operates on different principles and if you try to take natural principles and operate natural principles in the spiritual world it's not going to work it's the same as like taking Newtonian macrophysics and trying to operate it on a micro level are you guys doing all right with this all right so then we have to ask ourselves what is the language Of creation because here's basically my presupposition and it's based on the Bible it's nice that science is supporting it but even if science wasn't supporting it it's based on the Bible and my presupposition is this the that that by that faith is the substance not forget if your Bible says assurance or confidence or whatever I, I just need you to know that's a very poor translation and one of the top Greek scholars in the world who was also Lutheran, in his commentary says that Martin Luther changed the meaning of the word substance to assurance or confidence to fit his paradigm of justification by faith and wrote in his journals that he knew he had changed it wrong. And any translation that you find (laughs) uh, that is an older translation is going to translate it something like substance. Rather than assurance or confidence. Because what he's talking about, the writer of Hebrews, is this matrix that quantum physicists are beginning to discover actually exists. So that the things which are visible are not made or do not come from or do not originate out of things which can be seen. So the Pac-Man game originates out of something that you can't see, but it is a something. And for every letter, or I don't know what they would call them, Cornelius, I don't know what you call it, a string, or when you're doing the programming, when you put something in a command maybe, for every command there is a correspondence in the game. So if you hack the game and you change the program, there is going to be a corresponding effect that is going to show up in the game, which means you're operating by a different set of laws and rules at a higher level that has more influence than actually playing the game. If you play the game, you're you subject, you're you're under the dominion of the programmer and the language that he put in it. But if you can hack, if you can get behind the game and you know the language, you can change the game. Like maybe I want two ghosts instead of four, because if I'm only chasing two ghosts, I have a better chance of winning. But the only way to get rid of the other two ghosts is to get in there and change the programming. So you have to hack it. So who has more influence? Who has a greater ability to change? The guy who's playing the game or the guy who's hacking the game? <laughs> Obviously the guy who's hacking the game. Now what they're telling us is that our universe functions very much the same way. There was a guy from MIT. I can't remember his name right now. It's not in my notes. But he wrote a book and in his book he takes quantum physics and relates it to, he takes our universe, our model of the universe, and he relates it to a giant computer. And I don't know how these guys figure this stuff out, but he basically shows that everything that's manifesting in the scene realm, there is a higher dimension where something else is going on. Now, here's the amazing thing. You ready for this? Because what I'm going to suggest to you, both, both based on Bible and based on scientific research, Is that the language? So we have to learn the language of the Spirit. If we say this this unseen world that we can tap into, that Jesus tapped into, this unseen world that allowed Jesus to walk on water, that allowed him to work miracles, that allowed him to calm the storms. See, he's playing, see, Jesus showed up playing a totally different video game. Right? He's operating on a totally different level. And then he says, the things that I'm doing, you'll do them also. Right? So he's operating at a totally different level. So he's able to violate the laws of the game because he knows something. Right? So what I want to suggest to you is that, that part, <laughs> this is funny, part of being a follower of Jesus is learning how to hack the system. But in order to hack the system, you've got to know the language of the system. So what is the language of the Spirit? Y- yeah. See where I'm going? So what science tells us and the Bible tells us, it's going to surprise you. The language of the Spirit is the language of the heart. Or more specifically, a heartfelt belief. Because what they found out when on 9/11 when the satellites started going crazy, it gave birth to this whole science where they, they had to they, they began to discover that your your heart, your physical heart and your feelings are connected. and that will, and your heart actually emits a field that goes beyond your body that is a vibration that is of the same stuff, that exists at the quantum level, so that what's happening with you at a heartfelt level is interacting with these, this world behind-the-scene world and affecting it. Which is why when so many human beings had such a strong emotion, they're emitting together collectively a frequency into the matrix that is registering and showing up in a measurable way that we had the ability to capture. So what they had to do as they began to study this stuff was they had to create special instruments to measure this field that is around your life. And what they can tell you now is how far it goes out, they can tell you how strong it is, and they can tell you that it changes. The frequency and the vibration changes, but it only changes when the heartfelt belief changes. When the feeling changes. Are you, are you breathing? Alright, so, here's what it looks like. I don't know how well you can see that because uh, some of the light's up there. Can you guys see that alright? That's what you look like if you could see what you're broadcasting. That Circular field around you represents the vibrations that you're giving off at the level of heartfelt beliefs. Now, the other thing is, is the you also give off a similar field from your brain, but what comes from your heart is 500 times stronger than what comes from your brain, which is why, really guys, cognitive, I'm speaking to our therapists in the room, like all four of us, five of us, unless you're here and you're a therapist and I don't know that. Maybe there's more. Cognitive behavioral therapy will not work on emotions, will not work on heartfelt beliefs because the heartfelt belief is 500 times stronger than what you're doing in your head. So all that stuff you've been reading from church people that mean well and think they know what they're talking about? That says you can manage your emotions by your thoughts? Good luck with that. I mean, really, good luck with that. Because you're going to have to think 500 times more positive in your head to counter just one impulse of a negative heartfelt belief. And we're taught in the church... Now watch this. Watch how clever I think. I think it's satanic. I think it's absolutely satanic. I think the people who teach it and stuff are not. I think they are doing the best that they can with what they have. But watch this. If the language of the Spirit is a language of heartfelt belief, and the way that we can hack it is through our heartfelt beliefs, and the Bible teaches that. Because the Bible says way more about the heart than it does about the head. In fact, you can't find anywhere in the Old Testament where your consciousness, your thinking, is located in your brain. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And your emotions are wired to your heart. So if that's the language of the Spirit that you and I can use to hack the system, then wouldn't it make sense if you are, th- if you are a being, an evil being, who is threatened by this group that may start manipulating the matrix more than you can? Manipulating is a bad term, but changing, influencing, you understand what I'm saying? Wouldn't it make sense to tell you, don't pay any attention to your feelings? Wouldn't it make sense to tell you, I'm not moved by what I feel, I'm not moved by what I hear, I'm only moved by what I believe, and what they mean is at a conscious level. Think about it. And so we practice better than any people group on the planet, evangelical charismatics, to a certain degree, to to a large degree, we practice better emotional suppression than any other group on the planet because it's in our theology. Okay, that went over about like I thought it would. All right, let me give you some more. Are you ready for this? There was something called the World Peace Project in 1983. Now, this is just scientific. I'm not speaking from a, from a perspective of spirituality. I'm speaking from a perspective of scientific measurable evidence in the Newtonian world. Everybody got that? In 1983, there was a thing called the World Peace Project. During the Lebanon-Israeli conflict, a large group of people got together and went to Jerusalem And they gathered together for one purpose. They wanted to create a unified feeling of peace and harmony in their hearts. So they just got together and they worked out a methodology where they could create that feeling. And they all got together and began to create that feeling where this conflict was going on. And then they began to look at results. Here's what they found out. During that time war-related fatalities dropped by 71%. During that time, war-related injuries fell by 68%. The overall level of conflict dropped by 48%. Now, I just read the results of the study. I didn't actually read the study. For those of you that are more scientifically minded, I know we have some doctors and whatever in the house. But they say cooperation among antagonists decreased by 66%. Now, how they measured you know, an antagonism, I'd be interested to see. But that's the results. Not only that, they found out car accidents went down, crime rate went down, there were less fires, and there were less emergency hospital visits during that time. So what does this stuff tell us when we put it all together? The language, the programming language of the universe is a language of the heart, and the language of the heart is feeling. If, if I had the time and wanted to, to bore you more than I already am, <laughs> I, I, would, I would take you through the scriptures and I'd show you how, uh, in one account in Psalms, when it talks about how God's creating the world, that he's creating it from a place of loving-kindness. Or I could take you to Job chapter 37, verse 8, and show you where when God is creating the world, Job says, all the angels and the sons of God were rejoicing. So watch this. As God's creating, He's creating it, not just at a physical level, but He's creating it out from an emotional level. And And the angels are participating in the creation by vibrating at a level of joy. Because the programming language of the universe is the language of heartfelt feeling. It's all there in the Bible. We might call it this, coherent, coherent heart-based feelings. So in other words, unconflicted. Coherent means to hold together. So a heart-based feeling that is not conflicted, it resonates and connects. They've shown this scientifically. It resonates and connects with the higher dimensions or the internal dimensions, however you want to understand that, of reality. It resonates with things in higher realms, so it is changing things at the level of the programming, and then we see the effect show up in our lives. So when that group got together and let those heartfelt beliefs, that energy go from those heartfelt beliefs... Into the atmosphere, it wasn't like it was a force that they weren't playing the game. It's not like it made Pac Man move faster around those ghosts so they got better results. They were going into the language itself, changing things and realms that cannot be seen, and then the effect of it was showing up in the scene, realm, and dimension. Make sense? Now, here's the deal. See, if you believe that there's just one single physical reality, the only option you have in life is to go out there and do the best you can to hammer life into submission. And if everything's separate, whatever's getting in your way, you're going to hammer it into submission to bring it into alignment with how you think things ought to be. Right? So we use manipulation, war, political infighting. Just watch it. Subduing. I'm, I'm going I'm to play the game. So I'm stuck within the construct of the game. This view of separation. Nothing's interconnected. Nothing. I, I can't change things in here or at deeper levels. So we don't really give much thought to our lives. When we think about our life, we think about it only in the context of the game. And then we do seminars in the church on how to get a better marriage. How to raise better kids. Or wherever. I mean, I pick on the church because I'm one of them. I mean, it's us, right? So it's better than pointing the finger outside, right? But do do you see what I'm saying? Leadership, I mean, you know, leadership... We turn out leadership development stuff ad nauseum so we can learn how to control you better <laughs> and make you come to church and, and make you do things. But see, making you is not the language of the universe. Force is not the language of the universe. But when you're only operating with what you can see, then you will only make choices based on what you can see. And you will only make changes based on what you can see. So most of your effort goes into making more money. Most of your effort goes into whatever out here. And we give very little thought to what, how am I, how am I inside? Spend a lot of time in the mirror making sure we look nice before we go out. But how much time do we spend looking inside to make sure that we're, what, what kind of field are we sending out? What kind of impact are we having? How are we impacting and affecting the environment in our homes? How are we impacting and affecting the environment on our jobs? How are we impacting and affecting the environment in our churches or whatever the case may be? It's all based on... Now, here's a here's really tricky thing because, see, I, I can wish for something. I can want something. I can think I believe something. But whatever's happening at a feeling level is what I really believe. That's why, that's why so many affirmations don't work. Anybody ever got tired of affirmations? Okay, in our movement, if you're from the faith movement, we call them confessions. Anybody ever get tired of that? I am this. I, I mean, you know, one of the struggles I've had in my life. Thank you, Don. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I mean, one of the struggles I've had in my life has been fear. You know, I've talked about that. Panic attacks, anxiety, intimidation, all that stuff. I had to deal with all that stuff. And I can't tell you how many times I walked the floor and said, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Right? But I'm doing it all up here. And then I get in a situation, and at 500 times the release that I'm doing my confession or my affirmation, I'm interacting with the universe. And guess what program I'm inserting into my life? Fear. And then I go and I try to deal with it, and I'm told, no, don't no, don't pay any attention to what you feel. Bottle it up. It's what the Word says, brother. Go with the Word. you got to stand on the Word. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. You stand on the Word. The whole time my feelings are killing me. While I'm standing on the word. right. So the question then becomes, how are you going to play the game of life? Some people play the game of life totally in the physical dimension. And so they say, I'm going to derive... I just thought of something funny. Um, (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to derive it from my, I'm going to derive all my life, all my pleasure, all my satisfaction by using and subduing people, circumstances, whatever. So one of the real keys to this is being able to do what you love. And I (laughs) I say, yeah, but what if you love crack? (laughs) Your problem is you're playing the game. You're trying to use a substance out there because it's the only thing that you think is available to you to generate a heartfelt feeling or make you forget about all the heartfelt mess that is in there. And so you're trying to get away from that heartfelt mess by using something out there. You're you're playing the game the same way. You're still still Pac-Man trapped in the video game. How long do you suppose, these guys that really program complex systems, computer systems, how long do they have to go to school? How long do they have to study? And they don't start with, you know, they don't start them out, I'm showing my age today, I know I am, but they don't, they don't start them out at NORAD. They don't, they don't, you don't start out, you know, your first class in computer programming, you don't go to the government, the government doesn't hire you to catch to, to, to trap hackers or to work for the CIA. Why? Because you don't know enough. You don't know the language enough. You're not skillful enough yet. But we will wait until there's a huge obstacle. We will wait until we want to go out and change the whole city. We want to change the whole city of Pueblo. We're going to make all the violence stop. We're going to make all this stuff quit. And we haven't even gotten through phase one of learning anything—the basic language. The basic computer language. Are you tracking with me? Because because we don't we don't want to deal with our heartfelt beliefs. Because we don't know what to do with our emotions. And we label our emotions as positive or negative. And so, you know, if I were to ask you what are some positive emotions, then I'm sure that we would get some things like love, joy, peace, calm, euphoria ecstasy, whatever, all right, we can m- make a list of things that are pleasant for us. And then if I said, give me a list of negative emotions, what would we come up with? Uh, fear, depression, anger, hatred, whatever, right? And, and then we would label it. And then we put that labeling on ourselves, and we say, if you're a good Christian, you don't have anger. If you're a good Christian, you don't have fear. If you're a good Christian, you definitely don't have hate. Even though Jesus himself had hate, it's in the Bible. Because it said he loved righteousness, And hated iniquity. And so what happens is, is we end up bottling up these negative experiences that we label and judge, and then we're carrying around a toxic field. That interacts with other toxic fields that brings toxins into our lives. When what needs to happen is we need to be able to open up our, our beliefs and say, just because I'm having a belief does not mean there's a consequence to it. Just because I'm having a belief does not mean I'm I mean, a heartfelt belief. Just because I'm having a feeling. Because if I say belief, you go cognitive on me. You go from here to here. So if I'm having a feeling and it's, ne- and it's negative, right, then I become afraid of that feeling. Instead of allowing myself the experience of the feeling And find out what it's telling me. I don't have to act on its voice, but I sure do need to listen to its voice if I want it to quit screaming at me. All right. So, if you want a higher option, a better option, then you and I, we have to discover how to begin to live from our heartfelt beliefs as congruently as possible in a way that expresses our true nature as sons and daughters of God in a way that best brings Him glory. And the best way, I think, to glorify God is to live as fully alive and awake as you can. Let me tell you a story. There, there was a a guy named Joey, and this is where I'll close. There was a guy named Joey raised in a orthodox, very strict orthodox Jewish home. It's a true story, by the way. And when he comes of age, he doesn't want to blindly accept the faith of his fathers. So he goes to his, his dad and he tells him that he wants to go out and explore other things in the world. He wants to explore other options. He wants to explore other religions and philosophies. And see if the path of Judaism is really the path that he wants to take or choose for himself. And his father is horrified that he's rejecting the faith of the family. His father is horrified that he's rejecting 5,000 years of tradition. And so he tells him, Joey, if you do this, you'll be dead to me. Which is, can be a common Jewish thing. But he had to do it. So he leaves. So his, he leaves and as far as he's concerned... As far as his dad is concerned, he's dead. There's no The, the relationship is completely severed. And so Joey goes out into the world and he studies things like Buddhism. He studies uh, ancient religions. He studies philosophy. He, he goes out and he travels and he begins to experience the world. And something like 12 years later, he's sitting in a cafe in Paris. And wouldn't you know it, somebody from the neighborhood, uh, uh, a child that he had grown up with, someone that he had known as a boy, in this little cafe in Paris, walks into the cafe and they recognize each other, and they begin to have a conversation. And the first thing that this friend of Joey's tells him is he says, Joey, I was so sorry to hear about the death of your father. And it was the first news that Joey had gotten. His, his father had had a heart attack and died, and Joey didn't know that his father had died. And so stricken with grief, he decides to go back home to New York where he was from. So he goes back home and he goes to the neighborhood and he starts talking to family and he starts talking to his father's friends and, and he begins to hear something from them that was totally different than what he had thought because um, <clears throat> instead of his father uh, rejecting him and turning his back on his son, instead the father went around telling the whole neighborhood how proud of him that he was that he had shown such tremendous strength and courage to be able to turn away from 5,000 years of tradition and to be a free thinker, and that he was bravely out exploring the world. And so everybody that Joey's dad talked to, he honored his son. And this actually led Joey back into the Jewish faith. So he decides to go back into the Jewish faith, and he wants to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So this is a true story. He takes a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and he goes to the, the prayer wall there in Jerusalem. And one of the customs that's there, because the, the wall is so old, and pieces of it are, are falling out, uh, and it's creating holes and gaps in this wall. And so one of the traditions there is you can take a piece of paper or a piece of cloth, and you write a prayer on the piece of cloth or paper, and you push it in to one of the holes in the wailing wall. And so Joey, overcome with with guilt and shame because of the grief that he had caused his family, because of the pain and the hurt that he had caused his family and his father, He, he sat there and he wrote out a prayer asking his father to forgive him for all the pain and grief that he had caused. And he rolls up the paper and he begins to walk uh, across the, the, the wall there and he's looking for just the right place to insert the paper in. And he finds just the right place. A place stands out to him. And he walks up and he begins to insert the paper into that hole and almost as if by magic, a roll of paper falls out of the hole in the wall and falls at Joey's feet. True story. And part of it had come open and so he he picks it up and he recognizes it as his father's handwriting. And he opens the prayer and it's a prayer from his father when his father had made an earlier journey to Jerusalem asking God to forgive him for turning his back on his son and how proud he was and that God's hand would guide him. And there in that moment, those two events coincided. How does that happen? How does that happen? Could it be that the heartfelt belief of a father and a son was able to transcend the parameters and the dimensions of time and space and hack the program? to bring forth a reconciliation that was seemingly impossible because of the separation of time and death, life and death, time and space. And the other reason I told that story is because it has a real feeling to it, doesn't it? Did you feel that? Do you recognize the place where you felt that? That's called your heart. Some of you may not have visited there for a while. It's true. Some of you are strangers from that place. But it's interesting because the Bible says in the New Covenant, it never says that God will come and take out your brain of stone and give you a brain of flesh. And write on it, His laws. The whole thing in our faith is about the heart. Jesus didn't come for the broken-headed. Sometimes, I wish He would have. Thank you, Jesus. He came for the broken-hearted. He came to put us back in touch with our heart not just so that we could feel better but so that we could learn the language of the universe so that we could interact with it and impact it in a way that brings about real change and not in a way where we just go out and pound things into submission. So if nothing else, I hope that we will become more aware of what's going on inside our heart and take more responsibility for what's happening in there and learn how to play the game of life at that level. Because here's the thing. The Bible says that we have been raised with Christ and we have been seated with Him in heavenly places. So of any people on the planet, we have been inserted into the matrix on a level that other people have not. So that what we think and what we feel has a greater impact than any other people group on the planet. And you know, one more amazing scientific fact and we're done. What they discovered was that in this world of Newtonian physics, everything is so separate that you can do all kinds of equations to make things come back together. There's polarity and separation. But the higher you go up in the dimensions, and so mathematically they say, in order for the laws of quantum physics and the laws of Newton physics, in order for it to all work out mathematically, there has to be at least 11 other dimensions, if not 25. Right? And they said the higher you go up into these dimensions, the simpler the mathematical equations get. Until you get to a place where there's just one. Where there's unity. And we've been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. And whether we like it or not, even though down here we have the illusion of separation, in the spirit, the body of Christ is intimately connected. And we have no idea what the church will look like when we begin to operate from that level of connection and heartfelt love for one another. Let's close our eyes. I can see it on... Just close your eyes. Just listen to me. I can see it on your faces, many of you. Some of you, 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 when I start talking about heartfelt beliefs, you know your heart's in turmoil. Some of you, you know you haven't been able to resolve uh, stuff that's going on there. Some of you, that's like the scariest place on the planet to go inside. (laughs) Some of you feel so totally disconnected. Some of you, you're okay, you've got emotional freedom, but you feel guilty about it because we don't live in a society that celebrates emotional freedom. So you you can get messed up on either side, right? But I want to I zero in if, if you are out of touch with your heart or you know there is pain, real pain, going on at a heartfelt level so that you are broadcasting pain everywhere you go. The Holy Spirit wants to minister to you this morning. So two places. So if you're numb or you're out of touch or you're just not in that place of the heart or you say there's a lot of pain and turmoil in that place that's in my heart or maybe it's both, would you please have the heartfelt courage to stand up? Thank you. If we can move this. You just come. We're going to have our ministry teams pray for you. I'm going to pray for you and then we'll have our ministry teams. But just come up to the front. You've already stood. Just Come. place your hand over your heart and say hi. <laughs> I mean to your heart. I'm, this is a modern malady, so I know, you know, like where our head is just totally disconnected from our heart. We don't live from that place. I want you, I want you to take in a breath and as you are taking a breath, I want you to say to yourself, just quietly to yourself, I give myself permission to feel. And just let whatever feeling is going to come, just let it come without judgment. I want you to just tell yourself, there's no right or wrong when it comes to feelings. There's no right way to feel, there's no wrong way to feel. Just tell yourself, there's no right or wrong when it comes to feelings. And then take a deep breath and say to yourself again, I give myself permission to feel. Now, I want you to say this to yourself. I give myself permission to heal. And Just take another deep breath and just say inside yourself, I give myself permission to heal. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll... We'll let our ministry teams come, minister to you individually, if you want that. If you don't want that, obviously, we're not going to wrestle you to the ground. <laughs> but I would encourage you to get all you can get. Amen? And our ministry team has been well-trained to help you. And so, Father, join with me, saints, if you would, as we pray for these. Just, Father, as, as a church family right now, we just come around our brothers and sisters we thank you for them we thank you for their lives we thank you for the music that's inside their lives we thank you for the power that's inside of them we thank you for what you have placed inside of their hearts and father some of them are hurting some of them are just numb some of them are just alienated from that place and so father we're asking as a church right now that you will impact them that your spirit will move right now In a way that will impact them and release them from that which has prevented them from discovering their own heart. That which has prevented them from living fully awake. That which has prevented them from living fully alive. That which has caused them to fall asleep inside. That which has caused them to go numb inside. That which has maybe caused them to die inside. Father, we just speak a word of faith right now into their lives and into their hearts and we speak a word of life And we speak a word of healing, and we speak a word of resurrection, and we speak a word of empowerment into their lives. Father, where there are spirits of infirmity that have encased and enmeshed themselves inside the souls and the hearts of the people, right now as the church, come on, pray with me, saints, right now as a church, we break the power of those spirits, and we command and drive away from you every spirit of darkness, every spirit of shame, every spirit of condemnation, every spirit of infirmity. Every place where the powers of darkness have taken a grip upon your heart. We speak the light and the life and the power and the love and the healing and the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ to explode inside of you right now. To loose you and let you go. To set your heart free. To set your feelings free. To set your soul free. To set your emotions free. Be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Be set free right now in Jesus' name. Now just lift your hands. Lift your hands. Say, I give myself permission to be free.